Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Goray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goray. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, plucky listeners. You have landed in the Greyhounds Make Great Pet Zone. I'm Kathy. I'm here with Rory. And also joining us today is our always dependable, plucky, emergency co-host, John Parker, who will be joining us in just a bit. But today, our topic... And we hope that we have maybe some callers this week because we'd like to hear your views. We are going to be talking uh, about Greyhound Racing and if we can salvage Greyhound Racing. Our phone line here at Voice America is 866-472-5788. And we would love to hear your views or opinions on this topic. And with that, um, hey, Rory, you, Hello. shall we explain why we weren't here last week? Well, we were in Solvang, California for the Solvang Gathering, Hounds of the World. Ooh, and, and pastries and, and pastries wine. And, yeah. wine. and, yeah. and it, a good time. It was a fun event. And the thing I liked about it is you had, we call it the Hounds of the World because it's just not Greyhound related anymore, that you had all sorts of... Uh, you had galgos there. You had some padankos. We had whippets. Whippets. Um, um, we're we're looking to maybe have saluki visitors next, next year. year, and everyone had a great time. Uh, obviously, there was people with different opinions regarding racing and all that, but it was just everyone enjoying fellowship of loving their dogs. Exactly, and it was kind of. Also nice because the conversations were all positive. They were all productive. Um, Everybody was truly there for the love of their individual breed. And that's what makes a good event. Yeah, and I I actually learned a lot from the two speakers we had on Saturday, Chris Ann and uh, Jen. Mm -hmm. Learned a lot listening to them. Hopefully, we'll be getting uh, Chris Ann on the show here in a few weeks. Yeah, she she had some very good, helpful tips about behavior and and things. And, you know, we're... We're so insulated with our greyhounds. I mean, that for you and I, that's our our breed of choice. That being said, you know, you're you're really cutting your yourself short and and not opening yourself up to information if you just say, "Well, I don't want to know about anything else. I don't like this. I don't know about it." And that's another nice thing about the Solvang gathering. Everybody is very open. Kindness is not something to be thrown around willy-nilly it does matter exactly now with that said prior to us taking a week off last week and i do want to thank john for stepping in and putting together a great show last week we had a couple of shows where we kind of discussed some of the things that had been going on in the past with greyhound racing and and even horse racing and the reason why i kind of wanted to do that look back is to really get a feel for what was Greyhound Racing like in its heyday? What was going on in those days? And what we did learn, and I'm just going to use the example of Phoenix Greyhound Park here in Phoenix. Back in the day when it had its heyday going on, there was really little other entertainment going on here in Arizona. There was no sports teams. There was no lottery. There was no casinos. Um, So people had relatively fewer choices to go spend their their money on and i had been looking at that one photo from the old phoenix greyhound park and i i even studied it again some more and every one of those people and and the the greyhound track is just jammed packed Uh, yeah i have actually in going to the tracks i had when they had live racing i've never seen it look any of them look like that. Right. That was just amazing. But I, I was looking at every one of the people in there. They were intent. They were looking at their card. They were actually there gambling. Gamble. And another yeah. thing I did, I noticed in the photo is saw very little concessions. There was no sodas. There was no that. They were there gambling on the dogs. And since that time, when you had that photo taken and the track was full, well, we got the lotto. We've got sports teams now in Arizona. We've got casinos up up the yin-yang all over the place out here. 
Um, off-track betting. Off-track betting um, is big now. So the so the, the, a lot has changed. So I think there really needs to be a serious discussion as to can it be salvaged and what needs to be done to, to salvage it. Now, there's another thing that's happened in the last couple of years is the sports betting. Sports betting is going to take another big chunk out of horse and dog greyhound racing. When people, those who are there or just doing the gambling, when they get into that, they're going to move to the next shiny object. Well, and, and just like that's the same in everything. But, you know, um, now this picture, which I guess we should put one, put a copy of it up on the Facebook page so people yeah. know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, what did we estimate? That was like um, mid-60s, early 70s for that uh, photo? I would think probably late 60s, maybe early 70s, 71. I'm thinking 68 to 72 time frame. Okay. Uh, just from, from the haircuts, the hairstyles. <laughs> <laughs> and but, all the white shirts. <laughs> right. Uh, but I read uh, several, it may have been a year ago, I read an article and it was regarding horse racing. And the guy was pretty much saying that if we want to save horse racing, we need to come up with a different format. We need to change up the paramutual wagering system. Um, in this day and age, that, that old-fashioned paramutual wagering is just not as exciting to the, the public out there. And we all know when you see like the lotto, when it gets up to you know, 200 million, 300 million, people who normally do not play the lotto start jumping in. So first thing I would be looking at is what could we do to improve the, the, the paramutual wagering? Can you have a pick six where you're including a horse race, a dog race, and some sporting, you know, sports betting involved? And, and so where the pool starts getting big and next thing you know, others are getting involved. I don't know. You know, it's just something that really needs to be looked at. Well, and, and honestly looked at. I mean, it's all good to say, no, it's fine the way it is, or why change it? it, it but, you know, everything changes. Life changes. Um, with, uh, you know, people's attitudes, um, the, their lifestyles, as you said in this picture, it was primarily gambling. You know, you knew that's what they were there for. They weren't there for dinner theater. They were there to watch the dogs and, and win some money. Well, those attitudes are changing. You know, the attitude on smoking has changed. Um, health, uh, eating habits. So, of course, the view and the way dog racing has been over the years, got to take a hard look. And, you know, is is it worth salvaging? What is there that should be kept? What should be maybe revamped? And if it can be at all. Right. And, well, and I know someone who has some very, very pointed views on that subject. Who? <gasps> I believe it's our own Georgia Peach, John Parker. <laughs> uh, good afternoon. How's everybody? We're great. We're good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I definitely have some, some views. And I, just to t kind of take off on what Rory said, you know, I, I, the, the proof is in that um, as an ex exclusively or almost exclusively gambling product, Greyhound racing is no longer a preferred uh, uh, gambling activity. It just isn't. It, it's, it doesn't have the instant gratification that slot machines or even blackjack or roulette have. It, it's a little bit more cerebral because you have to handicap the dogs and study the program and their race histories and so forth to, to you know, make an educated bet. And so um, I think while, while gambling can still be one of the economic engines of the sport, I think the sport aspect of it has to be more uh, emphasized now. I think that uh, they have to sell it. It has to be sold as a, as a nice evening or afternoon out. Uh, activity and entertainment uh, with emphasis more on the dogs and uh, if you get people in the, through the turnstiles they're going to place a bet even if it's just a two dollar bet to have a dog to to root for in the race that's kind of my motivation when I go to the race I, I'll have to place a bet just to have a dog to pull for yep. so the gambling can continue and I think they've got to get more people in who are just interested in watching racing as a sport as opposed to primarily coming to gamble because it's just not a desirable gambling product anymore with, with the states now having uh, legalized so many other forms of easier gambling 
uh, it's just not going to be able to hold its own as far as a uh, you know market share of the gambling dollar. So it now needs to, I believe, turn toward market share of the entertainment dollar, the sports dollar. Right. You know, we see we see even minor league baseball teams in towns they they fill their stadiums up and there's no gambling there. Mm-hmm. They make their money off uh, admissions and program sales, advertising sales, and then most importantly, food and beverage. And I think that's that's where American Greyhound Racing is somewhat missing the boat. Exactly. I, I can use the example of uh, Tucson Greyhound Park. Um, they used to have, you could go there and get a decent di- dinner and enjoy in a nice table, eating a good dinner, watching the Greyhound races. And then as soon as uh, they had a fire there several years ago, and they just never restored that area after the fire. And once that they stopped having the dinners, the crowd started dwindling down. There was no need to, you know, there was no, well, let's go have dinner at the track. That was no longer even an option. And, you know, I think another thing that has hampered um, the continuation or the entertainment value of going to the track is so many tracks do offer or have tried to offer their facilities for fundraisers or organizations to come in, you know, uh, you know, day watch the dogs, maybe have your social function there. And the minute those things are put out, uh, those opposed to racing just absolutely go ballistic, you know, high, and, and, and go after the um, organizations or the, the groups or whatever that are trying to put their function on in the you know the Greyhound facilities and a lot of them do have you know larger rooms or you know do offer dinners or buffets and everything and okay there's a lot of things I don't like personally and I there's there's one topic I'm very hot on which I won't we won't go there right now <laughs> but you know everyone does have that right and if I had a business Oh, and I do. Um, and I wanted to have, you know, a, a gathering somewhere. I should have that right. And, you know, people who aren't attending, okay, you don't like it, but that doesn't take away my rights or your rights. You know, I'm not going to go after you if you want to have your company party somewhere. You have it where it's most convenient or where it might be, you know, they'll, they're offering you a nice variety of things. And if that's a horse track or a dog track or strip club you know i guess you should be able to do it (laughs) well you know john brought up something about the the sporting aspect um and i think that is still something to they need to focus on you 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 and i have gone to the wiener races and uh when when they were at phoenix greyhound park the track would be just jam-packed and now when they hold the wiener races at um turf paradise the track is jam-packed and the people are not there to gamble on the wiener dog racing they're there to watch the the dogs running there it's exciting they're having fun and i do think we need to get it back to a little bit on the sporting and also the concessions i did have a friend who's a general manager of a horse track telling me he's like every time we have a freebie and i have when he was telling me this i happened to be there on the day they had free sweatshirt day the track was jam-packed because these people were like, I'm getting something out of this today. I'm getting a free sweatshirt, and they were there they and having a fun time participating in the concessions, um, You know, and I'm sure several of them were also betting. So I think there are these things that Greyhound Racing Industry, if you want to salvage yourself, you, you do need to look at these other aspects. It can't, status quo ain't going to work. We've seen where status quo has got you. They shut down all these states. Um, they've now shut down Florida. At the end of the year, Florida is done. And I know people are thinking they're going to overturn it. No, they're not. Florida is done. Well, and, you know, if you don't have a track to run at, I, I just don't know the, the next step. You know, uh, the miracle comes down from the mountain and this is overturned. What's step two? Where where do we go? I mean, to to overturn it just to say, oh, we we've done it. We have this ability. Well, a lot of states still have the ability to continue, you know, racing. It it, it, it that didn't go away. So if you have no location right. and you have no option or trainers or what have you, how do you continue to do what you truly, you know, what you believe and is important? You can't do it if you don't have the facilities. Right. I might be wrong. Well, (laughs) there's another idea, and I'll be interested to hear kind of what John thinks. Um, We know the last uh, several years there's something that people are getting involved in every season. uh, um, The now I forget what you call it, where they put together their teams online and they have their they bet on you know get all their football players together and they have their 
Um, oh, man, I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> what? This is Vir- virtual, uh, virtual football or yeah. uh, fantasy football? Fantasy, yeah, fantasy, fantasy football okay. and all that. And, you know, that seems to be really building up some excitement. People love playing it. And it's like, you know, why not have um, fantasy greyhound racing? You pick your team. Of, you know, you get to pick five dogs from each track that's running. Get, get people interested in it. Yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be, I mean, you know, I think adoption, you know, of an X-Racing Greyhound made people aware of what racing was. They were able to make their choice of whether they enjoyed it, didn't enjoy it, or really only cared about having a nice pet. Um the political climate, for want of a better phrase, has changed that outlook. Um, but again, forcing one side over the other, I don't feel. And I'm I'm sure that uh, we I'll hear about this possibly after the fact. Um, you again, you have a right to like or dislike, but both sides are. But everyone's opinion matters. You cannot shut out one and say, oh, I am only this, without opening yourself up to, okay, maybe there are other options. I mean, and John, I know you are sometimes the the target on social media for your views. But, you know, if you if you just shut that door and you won't converse and you won't openly come to the table to discuss as an adult and, you know, feel that vulgarity is going to get your attention. It's, it's not going to work. You're going to turn more people off than you're going to have listen or want to work with you. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think some of the leaders of the uh, Greyhound Racing today are, are really are quite good ambassadors. They, 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 they're articulate they, and they're reasonable, kind people. And I think, you know, we need to get them, they need to get out front and center a little bit more. And, I, of course, I've said, for a long time, uh, uh, I think Greyhound Racing needs a national spokesperson, uh, preferably younger, pref- maybe female, uh, and uh, who would be the go-to person that um, the, the media contacts whenever there's a you know racing anti-racing article or any other kind of article that they're publishing because they love to, they love to put in the the pro and the anti, and they've got a they've got a spokesman. Uh, in Kerry Teal for uh, Great 2K, they call him all the time, or he calls them. But he's a national spokesperson for racing out there um, that would put racing's case forward in a in a persuasive, articulate way, and that would be the go-to person that the media would always contact uh, when there was when they were doing a, a piece on it. Right. So I, I think that that's a good idea. It could be, and I've also said that I think. These could, these two could be the same people, of course, depending on their backgrounds and so forth. But I think I think racing needs a national commissioner, sort of along the lines of what the NBA and the NFL have, somebody to be the you know to to, the face. to lead yeah. the racing community um, and you know be a, be over all the tracks, so to speak, in terms of racing's involvement, not not in terms of the gambling regulation, but in terms of racing's involvement in um, in the in the tracks themselves. So I think that would be a big help. I don't know if that's, that's going to be doable in the, in the short term, but uh, uh, I think it's definitely something that they need to put into place. Well, uh, John and Rory, I want to ask you both this. Um, do you feel based on what John sa- just said, you know, about a national spokesman, maybe a commissioner, do you think the reason something like that will never or has never been able to take hold is because honestly, those who believe in pro racing greyhounds we're not all on the same page you know i mean everybody's got well they all say yes racing should be allowed there's nothing wrong with it etc 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 bottom line everybody has their own opinion they just won't all get on that same page well and that is the problem um nfl all the teams are on the same page and they have a commissioner they respond or they report to Greyhound Racing, the tracks, they all are individual businesses. None of them business owners want anyone else telling them what to do. So while they had the AGTOA, it was structured in such a way that no person was the president for more than two years. And you already knew who the next president was going to be. On the NGA side, one of the problems I see is so many of board members over the years 
were also individuals who have bookings at the tracks. And the tracks kind of own you then. So you're not going to buck the people who are giving you booking because if you piss them off, they're going to kick you out of there and you no longer have your booking. So, yeah, we, I think racing, if they really want to survive, s- survive, salvage themselves, yeah, that is something they need to look. Can all these individuals who are really look, first looking out for themselves come together and say, yeah, I will allow this to happen? I don't think, I, I just don't see that happening. Okay, and John? It may not. I mean, I, somebody in, the le- in a leadership position, some bodies, it would have to be probably a combination of the NGA and the various state uh, racing you know, kennel owner associations to get together and say, look, we're going to appoint and fund uh, one uh, central commissioner who's also going to either he or she or their designee, you know, performs the spokesperson function. And we're going to all agree to basically let them be the, the ruling person for, you know, Greyhound Racing. And and that, that would be the person, like you say, Roy, that when you're an NGA board member and you've got a kennel booking, you're not going to, you're not going to buck the track very much. But yeah. a commissioner would have a little bit more ability to do that, you yeah. know, to say, look, you're not, you're not doing right by the sport here to, to whatever track it may be because you don't have a great racing service or you're not doing enough to, to promote safety or whatever it may be, whatever the issue may be. The, the commissioner who doesn't have a financial interest, a direct financial interest in with one particular track or two or three tracks could, could have that kind of say-so, so to speak. Exactly. That's like in Arizona. I'm Everyone knows I'm a, well, if you don't, you now you do know <laughs> I am a racing commissioner. Well, I, that's what your T-shirt says. It does? <laughs> it does. Where? <laughs> Anyways. And I'm not allowed to have any ownership in a track, a dog, horse, or whatever, because I need to be able to have, you know, be objective objective, and not have any special interest in there. So, and I also kind of want to circle back, and I I agree with John, and I, I would probably put this one up as the top thing to do first. They need a national spokesperson. Well, okay, now I have a question. Say we get a national spokesperson. Is the ability to know your past as much as your present necessary, or do you just feel that well, if I, you know, okay, get somebody that knows about things over the last five years. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know the past. You you got to face the face the music and, exactly. and look forward. Exactly. I do think it would be important to know the past because we know the other side always brings up the past. And yes, there was a lot of things that happened in the past, it, it, not just Greyhound Racing, in, in everyone's life. There's been things in the past that we're all maybe a little embarrassed about. We move forward. So the, the goal is to show them how we have moved forward and how we have improved. And I don't think that message has been carried to the public. For instance, I saw in Florida, the public voted almost 70% to get rid of Greyhound Racing. Greyhound Racing did not, and it was not get rid of Greyhound Racing, let's clarify that. It's the gambling on live Greyhound Racing that they ended. We can, they can still run the dogs there as much as they want. You just can't bet on them. But they did not do a good enough job showing the public that, yes, we had some negative in our past, but here is what we have done to overcome that. There is no other aspect in the animal welfare world that I know of where you can say, when, when many of us got involved in greyhound adoption, there was a high number of greyhounds being euthanized. And together, greyhound racing, greyhound adoption, and I, wanna, I also want to clarify this, the majority of the work was done by people in greyhound adoption who called themselves neutral. I'm, I'm clarifying that because I saw the other day some idiot posted that neutral people were nothing but sheeps in, uh, or uh, antis in, in sheep's clothing. It's like, uh, no. Neutral is what saved the greyhounds and the greyhound racing up until this point. So anyways, no no other aspect of the greyhound welfare or animal welfare community can you see something to where you had what was going on to where today just about every greyhound is getting it it adopted. Nowhere. That is a major accomplishment that that needs to be shown to the public. 
Definitely. Um, you know, and, and again, I think it, it's... Okay, I'm just babbling now because I just looked at the screen to find out. We have three more minutes, so... Three. <laughs> John, do you have anything to, to pop in at? Yeah, I think that, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that's, that a spokesperson could do would be to trumpet the various things that, that Greyhound Racing does right. Yeah. 100% adopted is first and foremost. Um, and, and would be somebody who's public relations and media savvy and can get Greyhound Racing people and the dogs, most importantly the dogs, on various TV shows. Morning, every local channel has a morning show, you know, and they have, they're, look, they're always looking for somebody to feature. So get a, get a trainer and a, a, a top achiever dog on a local program to, so that people can see the face of Greyhound Racing. Americans love dogs. And, and get that dog out there. Uh, with maybe with a racing blanket on, and he's going to run next Tuesday at such and such stakes race. Get the high achievers out there, you know. And this is what a, a spokesperson could do. They 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 know how to talk to the a good one knows how to talk to the media and how to get racing people and the greyhounds on TV. I yep. think that'd be a big a big help to put racing's positive message. You know, out there. That is a brilliant the idea. Yeah. I mean, with today's media where it's seven by 24 coverage, they're looking for stories. And yeah, John's right. A good media person would get our people out in front of the public because that is the biggest challenge right now I see is the public perception. The other side is winning that battle. We are losing it big time. As you can see, the numbers that were in Florida, 70% said, and betting on Greyhound Racing. So we got to work on that public perception. And I do think, I know when we, we don't have time now, but when we do come back, I do want to kind of talk a little bit about um, the legislative things that kind of need to happen and um, why maybe we need to, people need to stop sending money in for legal battles and start focusing on building that firewall to prevent losing what we still have left. Definitely. Well, we've only got about 30 seconds. I'd just like to remind our listeners that our phone lines are open if you'd like to put in your two cents because you know what? You listen to ours every week. We're happy to listen to yours. Our number here is 866-472-5788. But you know what? we got a pack of hounds we got to let out. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we will be right back with more Greyhounds Make Great Pets in just a few minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice of America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. 
Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The GPA, that's Greyhound Pets of America. If you would like information on how you can adopt an ex-racing Greyhound, call 800-366-1472. These dogs are fit, healthy, happy, playful pets, good with children, and oh, do they love lots of hugs. Adopt a cool Greyhound today. Call 800-366-1472. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Yes, indeedy. We are back with the second half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. I'm Kathy Gray. I'm here in the studio with... Rory Gray. It's really cool. We have the same last name. How do we do that? And also joining us today is our resident co-host, John Parker. We are talking about the options to salvage Greyhound Racing. Can it be done? What can be done? What should be done? Oh, yeah, we got an opinion about everything. And if you do, too, (laughs) give us a call. 866-472-472. Five seven eight eight here at Voice America, but I know you're just all sitting there huddled around your computers listening to us, just afraid to call in. But you can call in if you want. We're good with that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's continue our conversation. Why don't we um, maybe touch on some safety well, and, sure. and welfare? Yeah, we were talking during the break, and that is another important item. And I a couple of shows ago, I had a there was a survey in a newspaper and when they were talking about injuries the people who were kind of less likely to go to a track or watch races it the number increased when you started talking about injuries or death and i do think that is something that needs to be addressed how do we reduce injuries and i'm i'm a firm believer that if if the racing were to put together a group of people to start studying the data and i'm by data i mean we need to collect that data we need to know what's going on for instance in tucson greyhound park um if tucson greyhound park was still running we would have been able to decrease the injuries there greatly by just one item when we looked at data a majority of the races or injuries were happening in the summertime on the even races and people are probably saying what does that mean well, the even races, 
they didn't prep the track and didn't put water down. So the water was being put down on all the odd races. Even races, they were not putting down water. Now, anyone who lives out here in Arizona knows it's a very dry environment, and it's hot in the summertime. You're putting down water. It's going to evaporate pretty quickly. So when you get to that even race, there's not going to be as much moisture content in the sand. And the other thing was a high rate of the injuries were happening at the towards the end of the card. So you had greyhounds that had been sitting in a jenny pit for, you know, an hour plus and then coming out to race, where if you would have split the card up into two cards, the, the greyhounds probably would not have had as many injuries and also putting down water on every race would have helped out. So things like that, looking at the data, I think we can reduce injuries. And then if we're not willing to have that discussion, you know, it, we're not going to change public perception. Right. Well, and I think, too, you've got to take it out of the box. Um, a little story about someone sitting across the table from me who um, – he did a few years ago. Uh, you went down to Tucson, Rory, and uh, it was hot, and there were a lot of complaints about the dog running in the extreme heat. And uh, you want to finish up the story? Well, I, there was. they kept calling the track and complaining. They were actually even calling the, the Department of Racing, complaining about the dogs running in the heat and that the track was going to be too hot for the dogs running. So I went down to the track in right before they started racing, and I think the day that day was probably like 110, 112 degrees out. Took my shoes off, got out onto the track, and walked the whole track surface. It was not any issue with the track being too hot for the dogs. But what we did find out later on is where the injuries and all that were coming about was the moisture content on the even races, and then the dogs that had been sitting in a jenny pit for a long period of time, then going out to run. Well, actually, I was talking about going for the fact that you uh, walked the entire yeah. track barefoot. Exactly. You know, that was, it's just something, okay, it sounds kind of crazy, well, and that's you, but you do have to think outside of the box when trying to do better for the dogs. Well, and that's one of the struggles we're having, even in horse racing. I think um, there's a lot of ideas being thrown out there, and, and we're, we're chasing after the latest and greatest, what may sound good, but what we really need to do is actually physically get out there, look at things, and we need the data. We need to collect the, the data so we can start seeing is there a pattern going on uh, one of the things on horse racing that i would love to see is the medical records not gonna you know until laws get changed we're not going to get the medical records on the horses and i know john you you actually have some ideas on other ways also maybe to reduce injuries yeah uh <clears throat> dennis mckeon has written uh, somewhat persuasively on on this uh, this idea, and that is to do two things with respect to the actual way you you line up the dogs in the race. First is you have six dogs instead of instead of eight. That that right there statistically reduces the number of potential the potential for contact, and that it's when you have hard contact that dogs fall and dogs get hurt. So that reducing the the numbers to six uh, six greyhounds in the race instead of eight. Just makes for a less crowded field, and certainly less crowded at the first turn. Yep. And then you have what's called um, uh, you you place them instead of you know currently in, a, in the U.S. they're drawn randomly, and and a dog may have the the, the number one position one that race and the number six another time or eight. Uh, and so uh, you you what they do in in Ireland and England is they they do what's called seated races. In other words, they study the running style of every greyhound and if one likes to be an outside runner they don't put him in the first box because he's going to want to go to the outside and when he wants to go to the outside he's going to there's a good chance he's going to collide with somebody yep. so the outside runners they put in the two in the five or the six or maybe the four and the inside runners they put in the in the first three and so um, instead of just completely making it random uh, put the dogs in the boxes that kind of match their running style. Inside runners on the inside, outside runners on the the uh, the outside, and and you have what Dennis refers to as more formful racing. In other words, the dogs can shine with their own abilities, and it's less dependent on luck. And 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 the the gamblers like that because it makes the race outcome more predictable. Um, 
you know, you can bet on a dog based on his his past performance rather than, well, is he going to get in a collision? Is he going to get crowded in the first turn and not be able to uh, get out of the traffic and run his usual good race? So less collisions means less injuries, and less collisions mean less catastrophic injuries, particularly, because that's that's where you see the dogs go flying in the first turn and they tumble and so forth. And so if you if you have that combination fewer dogs in the race, six dogs, and you, you seed them according to their running style, I think you'd see a, a tremendous uh, reduction in the number of collisions and better racing, you know, more racing that, that depends on, you know, a dog's speed and ability to uh, make the turns rather than his ability to, to find his way through traffic. Now, is that uh, something that can be easily done, or does that have to be legislation or commissions voting and deciding? Or I mean, that sounds a pretty easy fix. So let it be done. I don't, no. I don't know. Rory may know this better than I do, but I don't know of any states re- which require a certain number of dogs in a race. They may require a certain percentage of number of performances, you know, race cards. But I don't know of any that require either you know, a certain number of dogs in a race or how it's they, how, put together, how they're drawn, right. whether, it's, whether it's totally random or whether it's uh, outside seating. Well, in Arizona, you, Rory, yeah, you know of any? It, well, it's, I know in Arizona it was, our rules were eight dogs, but we could allow for fewer dogs in a race. Now, obviously, if you have eight scheduled and two get scratched, you're going to have only six dogs running. But they want eight dogs, and the law did require that it was eight dogs to be put in. But the law did state that the department could say, okay, like Tucson, we did have to lower it for them because they, when they got down to getting closer to ending, they didn't have as many dogs. Also, the other thing is how many dogs, only so many dogs can be owned by the same owner and or run by, own, run by the same kennel in a race. So that you don't have one kennel, you know, just loading up the the deck. But that that is one of the things that I find most frustrating is there are things like this. And I, if we had still had Greyhound Racing here in Arizona, I would be pushing for the six dogs and seeding the dog where it's going to run best because I think it would bring about a more exciting uh, brand of the sport that people would just find fascinating you're not going to have these you know dogs running into each other you're going to have six dogs running and finishing a race and they're going to be competing hard against each other well and and it sounds like the way it's done now you've basically got somebody who plays t-ball against a a, a pro baseball player um you know you you need to have equal footing right. per race to to make it fair uh, but that is the frustrating thing is that it's some of these things are in statute um, that it's just kind of hard to get changed. And I, I understand why they put it in the statute years ago, but it's no longer those days. We need to have some ability to make the changes so that we can improve the quality of the racing and also reduce the number of injuries and or deaths in the sport. Why do you think we're so adverse to change? Why why is it a big a big you know brick wall whenever the topic is brought up, especially on social media? Well, it's, it's not just that the brick wall is okay. I was just saying it's in statue, so well, okay. you you want to change that. All right, now you got to get yourself a lobbyist, or like in my case, I can get myself to be registered as a lobbyist and I got to go down and spend some time meeting with the senators and representatives find somebody who would be willing to sponsor a bill to make this change then you got to go through all the hearings that you got to go through and, and start gathering support for it and then you know hope that the governor passes it and then realize that at any given time especially even when it gets down to its last hearing, somebody might propose an amendment that takes the meat out of it. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hard battle um, that, you know, it's just not that easy to do. Well, before we go into the legislative options and stuff, did we have anything more regarding safety and welfare? Well, you no, guys I, want to but I, 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 one of the things I've always been saying that the industry needed to nominate a safety committee and start collecting the data and start making recommendations. And the tracks and everyone involved needs to agree that we will listen and abide by these and 
you know, if it's things that can be done without changing the rules, let's adopt them. If it's things that we have to make changes to, uh, maybe we work through the RCI and get those changes and then go to the various states and get them to enact law that says the various commissions or departments can adapt rules and regulations based on what the RCI committees are recommending. Now, I know a couple of years ago, um, I, I believe Tucson was still active at this time. You were looking, Rory, you were looking into some things regarding the, the, the rail and the placement of the lure and things like that as far as, you know, when the, when the dogs come around the turn and, uh, you know, how they, they view things that they're kind of looking beyond at the lure rather than the track itself. You know, they're it's, seeing the... It's not that they're looking beyond. Um, what is a greyhound? Oh, no, it's a test. I'm blonde. Oh, no. It's I know, sp- I know. <laughs> John? It's a side hound. Exactly. And I, I actually came across this when I was at Tucson Greyhound Park. I was down in the first turn taking photos. And later on, I went back and looked at the photos. And the lure had already come by and gone past me. And I was looking at the dogs as they were coming into the first turn. They were looking at the lure but they were having to look through the railing. And when they were all looking through the railing to see the lure, they were bunching up into each other. When the lure was in proper distance Align. alignment in front of them, they were spread out a little more because they could all they all saw it out in front of them. So a lure operator is really important part of the safety for the dogs. And you know, if you don't have a good lure operator, and that's you know, that's another thing I would be looking at is if there was injuries. I would want to see the, the, the race and see where was the lure in position when the injury happened, when the collision happened, what was going on there. That's why I keep saying the data, part of the data is send us the footage from the, from the race so it could, everything can be observed. Uh, now this question might be a little more in John's direction because I know he's been to Europe and, and a little more in tune with with racing facts and figures over there a little bit but is there anything being done in other countries england ireland australia that they may have safety measures that we should implement or maybe review and look at and consider well i think they um they most of them uh, many of them have an outside lure that would you know for the existing tracks that would be a a pretty big infrastructure change but it seems to focus, it seems to put the lure better inside of the dogs. All the lines of what Rory was talking about, they don't have to look through anything to see the lure. Um, and it runs on a rail. It doesn't have an arm. It runs, it's a funky looking little lure. It looks like a windfall. <laughs> and it, it runs along an outside, uh, in the ground rail. It, it runs along the ground instead of being up on an arm. And um, they seem to, you seem to see less unsightings, and, and they don't bunch up at the, of course, they've got the seated uh, draw as well, mm-hmm. so that helps. They don't seem to have the bunching up at the first turn to, with the frequency that, that, uh, that we have in American racing. And I think the outside lure has, has, plays a role in that. Yeah. You know? uh, so I think that's one thing that could be done. I, I think they study surface preparation to the same extent uh, that we do over here. And I, I've read some studies on on surface pre- preparation and maintenance that, like, Rob Gillette was involved in and so forth. So the, the science is out there, and it's just a matter of making sure that you do simple things like Rory was talking about. Uh, regrade after, you know, reprep after every, um, after every race. You've got the time. There's there's ten or fifteen minutes between between each race. Go ahead and put the tractor out there, and uh, and 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 resurface it um, between races. And I think you'll you know you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of diminishment of injury. Now, the point to be made is that injuries are already fairly low. You know, yep. everywhere the statistics are kept, um, it's between one and two percent of any injury from a broken toenail to a broken leg. Uh, of all racing starts, I don't think racing puts that out there enough. You know, in 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 uh, opposition to what the anti racing people do. So, race. The point needs to be made that the injuries are injury rates are already pretty low, and if and if we can do these other things at the margin, we're going to reduce them even further. Especially the catastrophic injuries, which seems to catch the public's attention so much, where you have a a dog with a broken leg and so forth. And so, you know. 
every little bit we can do at the margins that racing can do at the margins and to get that even below well below one percent and then not only get it below one percent but then tout that you know trumpet that from the rooftops that you've done you've made these initiatives and here's our statistics on injuries and i think that would be very persuasive with the public Exactly. You, you brought up a great point. I was in a meeting uh, uh, a year ago, and there was a uh, discussion on injury rates. And for one particular state, their injuries on horses were way down. And I remember hearing somebody say, well, we should go to the media with this. And immediately there were some people like, oh, no, no, let's just, you know, let's just keep this to ourselves. It's like, no, you need to get this out that you guys have reduced this number. Be proud of what you do. You've got a lot of great accomplishments. A spokesperson, a national spokesperson would be able to do this for you. But uh, John also brought up, um, brought up a name, Dr. Rob Gillette. I saw him a number of years ago and he actually, some of that, oh God, where was that? In Florida, I think. Anyways, his, what he presented really made me think over the years. Um, and you talk about track prep, well, a lot of the greyhounds, and I'm thinking back when I was see- observing the dogs at Tucson Greyhound Park, they would be running them out in front of the kennels on a hard surface, ju- trotting around there. And then they had a big long runs that they would run them there with super duper soft sand. And then they raced on a sandy surface, but was not as soft as what was in the, the runs. So here you had these dogs working out on three types of surfaces that could possibly cause, you know, damage to a ligament or something or bring about an injury so i think when you talk about surface prep it needs to be all the surfaces that they're working out on at that particular facility now we have just under three minutes sorry we have two minutes this went by fast i know we can gab um i'm going to throw it over to john first before we close john do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners about salvaging greyhound racing I just, I would really love to see some rethinking, some real outside the box thinking. I think racing, American racing is going to have to remake itself. I don't think doing what has been done for the last 20, 30 years is going to work. It's it's demonstrably not working. And so I, I really hope that some of the folks in racing will, will really commit themselves to remaking the business model a bit, getting toward uh, racing and greyhound people owning the venues instead of uh, casino companies owning the venues and i think that will go a long way it's a big task there's no question about it it'll be a major undertaking and i fully agree um watching a greyhound run is one of the most beautiful things you can ever see and it'd be a sad day when people won't be able to see the greyhounds doing what they love doing we we have the ability to change folks let's do it Let's stop living in the 50s, 60s. We can change. We can bring about the salvaging of Greyhound Racing if we're just willing to put our egos aside and work together. With that, Kathy, any last words? Um, no, I'm blonde again. I, I, have, I have nothing, but I would like to, to thank our listeners. And if uh, anyone has some thoughts after the fact, if you're listening on the on-demand option for this show, uh, you can send us an email at gmgp3, that's the number three, at yahoo.com with any questions. And we'll catch it for next week. Right. And, John, thank you. thank you for joining us yet again. And thanks to our engineer sure for another Yoda-style engineering. <laughs> Tacey. Our producer, everyone, hug the hounds of the world. Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.